that I am God. Yeah, many of you would have heard of that before. Be still and know that I am God. I'm going to read it from verse 1 of that Psalm 46. And, and uh, uh, just says, God, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. The nations are in chaos and their kingdoms crumble. God's voice thunders and, and the earth melts. Now, in, in, in view of all that, be still and know that I am God. In the midst of all that. Yeah, just look at all that stuff. That, that looks like a bit like our world, doesn't it? I don't know if your world is like that, but for a whole lot of people it is chaos and commotion and things happening around us that we can't control and we don't know where we're heading and we don't know what tomorrow is going to hold and we don't know what's going to happen in Ukraine and Russia and China and Taiwan and everywhere else around the world that are in conflict in Africa and so on. But I want to tell you this, that God is in control and that's why he says right in the middle of that, be still and know that I am God. And friends, knowing that he is God is such an important thing. It's so important to know God personally. I was thinking about, you know, my, my own life and in my childhood, actually. The you know, earliest memory that I have is um, sitting on the veranda of our little, tiny little cottage house in country Victoria where I, where I grew up. And, uh, and my mother uh, teaching my older brother and I Sunday school lessons, actually. And the reason why that was happening is because uh, she'd, she'd become a Christian. She got saved, and, and she was in this church, and, and it was uh, like a, what you'd call a, a mainline church or a denominational kind of church. And, and, but something happened, and she encountered the Holy Spirit, and God came into her life in a new way, and she began speaking in supernatural languages, and, and it was awesome, but it didn't go down very well in that particular church. And so she wasn't able to stay there, unfortunately. So... She's at home. She's got two young kids, and she's saying, I'm going to teach these kids the Word of God. So she got some Sunday school lessons from somewhere. We're sitting out on this old little old school desk on the front veranda, coloring in Bible story, you know, stories of, of Bible stories. And she's teaching us the Bible. And, I, and it wasn't long before a little Pentecostal church, actually it was an AOG or ACC church, started up in that little town. And before too long... Uh, so I began to hear the preaching of God's Word and the Holy Spirit was moving in my heart and I, and I responded to God. And then I knew that I knew Him. I knew that I knew Him in my heart. See, what was happening is all the time before that, I was learning about God. I, I was doing, you know, doing the stuff, learning about God, but I never knew God. But one day I asked Jesus into my life and from then on I knew Him. And here's the point. It's possible to know a lot about God without actually knowing God. I know this is really simple, folks, but it's okay. It's possible to know a lot about God. And look, you might have grown up in a Christian home. You might have, uh, you might have had the God talk all around you. You might have learnt some of the lingo even, of what the, the words and the, the language, the lingo, the Christianese, the lingo. But you've never asked Jesus into your life. It's possible. You can live like that for a long time. You can stay on the fringes for a long time, but then one day something will happen 
there'll be a crisis in your life or a revelation will come or some kind of awakening and all of a sudden you know that you've met Jesus and everything from that moment on you know that you know that you know God is in your life. So I just want to start by saying knowing God is so important personally. It's meant to be a personal, internal thing in our lives. We know that we know Him. It's a wonderful thing to know that. The Apostle Paul, uh, writing to the church at Philippi, and look, he, those of you that have read the New Testament, he, he was highly educated. He had uh, all of his religious ducks in a row, so to speak. And uh, he was a person who knew everything about what the Bible says about God, but he never actually met Jesus. And one day he had this life-changing encounter where Jesus personally met him. And Paul began to look at his life and say, man, I, I thought I had it all together. I had all these, not having got anyone highly educated here, but all these degrees and everything after my name, he said. But then I realized, and this is what he said, Philippians chapter 3, it says, I was a fiery defender of the purity of my religion, even to the point of persecuting the church, a meticulous observer of everything set down in God's law book. Then one day, he has this encounter with Jesus, and his life is completely turned around. And he said, all of this stuff counts as nothing compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus, my master, firsthand. So friends, that's the thing, knowing God personally. What do I need to do to know God personally in my own heart? That word, we read the scripture before about be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I'm God. And that word be still, if you go back to the original Hebrew when that was written there, that word means to sink down into a comfy, easy chair. Sink down into a really comfy chair and know that he is God. That's, that's pretty cool, don't you reckon? I mean, it doesn't say, you know, read your Bible a bit more or spend more time praying or make sure you never miss church or give money or what, what, it doesn't say anything. It just says, be still. Sink down into your easy chair and let God show himself to you and reveal himself to you, who he is this morning. Why do we need to be still and know that he is God? Number one, so we can hear his voice. We, we need to slow down so that we can hear his voice. It's important. And friends, how, how much do we need to hear from God in this generation? Like there's, there's so many voices out there clamoring for your attention. So many screens in front of us clamoring for our attention. You know, how, how much we need to hear the voice of God in this generation when there's so much crisis and commotion going on in the world. I've been reading the book of Job and, uh, you know, I, I never wanted to read the book of Job. I mean, I've read it plenty of times in the past, but um, the book of Job, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, right? The book of Job, you got Nehemiah, Ezra, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, and all those books in the Old Testament. I never wanted to read Job because Job had a lot of things go wrong in his life. And for those of you that have read that book, um, it's a book of catastrophe and disaster happening to this guy. And then the whole book is about, he's trying to work out why it happened. So Job has this, he loses everything. He was, he was it says, the wealthiest man of that whole area where he lived. And he, and he loved God and he was righteous 
he was, he was a, a really good guy, you know, he did, did everything right. And then all of a sudden, this catastrophe and crisis started happening to him. He lost everything. And, and then so his friends came to comfort him, so to speak, comfort inverted commas. And so they sat there. Job was, in, Job was a mess. He was just like he, in those days, they used to wear like this, uh, like a Hessian bag. You know, sackcloth, a Hessian bag, they'd wear that so the prickles would be in them, so they'd feel the pain all the time. And just ashes, poor ash, ashes from a fireplace on their head, just to show how miserable they were. So Job's here in sackcloth and ashes, and his friends come. They sat there for a whole week. There was nothing they could say. And then, and then Job opened up, and he, he launched into how bad he was feeling, and he spends all this time just explaining why he was such a righteous person and how unfair God was to do this stuff to him. And then his friends, one after another, they start launching into him, sifting through the, the, with a fine-tooth comb through his life to find everything he'd done wrong to explain that, Job, you brought this on yourself, mate. Don't you see? You know, God's not punishing you for any other reason than you sinned and you failed. This went on for like 30 chapters of the book. 30 chapters. And then, when you read it in a modern translation, though, it's actually really quite compelling. You get the message translation, and it's really interesting stuff. Anyway, so, so, so Job's there. He's got his three friends around him, but they're not alone. There's another young guy. There's a young guy sitting right there, listening to, to the whole of this. This was probably going on for days and days or, or weeks. I don't know. Elihu. And he says, he starts to say, I didn't say anything at all because you're all old. See, they're all old guys. Job is old. His friends are old. You know, I know, look, look when you're in your teens and 20s, everybody is old, right? I know that. But when you get as old as me, you've got to be a bit more selective how you say that. But so here's this young guy, and he's saying, you're all old, and I didn't say anything because I thought, well, when you're old, you know everything about everything, and so therefore I won't speak. But listen to what he says. Put it up on the screen. He says, I kept thinking, experience will tell. The longer you live, the wiser you become. Don't we say that? Isn't, isn't that what we say in our, in our culture? And, and I want to say here, friends, don't build your life around sayings and platitudes and cliches of our modern culture because most of them contain some truth but only part, part of the truth. In actual fact, only God's Word is totally right and true. So... You know, we have that saying, don't we? You know, the older you get, the smarter you get. Well, it's, it's only partly true. That's the thing. So Job says, um, I kept thinking experience will tell the longer you live, the wiser you become. But I was wrong. It's God's spirit in a person, the breath of the Almighty One that makes wise human insight possible. It's God's spirit in a person that makes wisdom and insight possible. So I'm saying to you this morning, friends, how much we need God to speak to us. We need God to speak to us in our life and show us what really is true and what is real and how to live our lives with wisdom. One of the greatest prophets of all time, um, he lived when most people weren't interested in God. And they walked away from God, basically. And so this guy, he single-handedly brought the nation back to God. It was, it was an amazing uh, occurrence. You can read it in, the second, in the First Kings in the Bible. But uh, after he did this, they had this incredible 
um, collision of values and, and the prophet brought them all back to the living God. After that, he was exhausted and he lay down to sleep and angels, it says, came and ministered to him and, and they sent him off to his next assignment. And so when he gets there, he finds himself in a cave and uh, uh, Elijah really needs to hear from God. He needs to know what the next thing is. He needs reassurance. And so God speaks to him and God says, come out to the mouth of the cave, Elijah. So Elijah comes out to the mouth of the cave and there's this incredible storm that comes down and violent storm and the rocks are being shattered and they're flying everywhere. Rocks are going. And then there was an earthquake and then there was this massive fire comes and, and we're... God wasn't there. And then, then all of a sudden, there was this still, small voice, this tiny little voice. And God begins to speak to Elijah. And the thing about this, friends, is that, that, that God does have an outside voice. In fact, when he, when he spoke to Job, it says he spoke to Job out of the violent storm. So God, God knows how to speak out of a storm. No worries. But his favorite voice is the still small voice, the quiet voice. That's why you need to sink down. In your easy chair. And listen to the voice of God. Psalm 107.29 says, He calmed the storm to a whisper and stilled the waves. That's what God does. He likes... Now, he does not have a problem with noise, by the way. I need to say that. So sound technicians have to know this. God doesn't mind loud, okay? And we shouldn't mind it either, you know, because I tell you, heaven's going to be loud. And there's going to be smoke there too, by the way. There's a, there's a lot of stuff. So, but, but he likes a whisper as well. And, and he likes to speak to us in our heart, in a whisper. Second reason we need to be still is so that we can learn to stop striving. Learn to stop striving. You know, we can learn a lot about God by the way he led Israel, the nation of Israel, when they were going through impossible situations. And um, one time when, when the nation of Israel, they're all, they all out in the desert, like a huge crowd in the desert. And they'd been slaves in this country. They'd been in slavery there. The whole nation, they were a nation of slaves. And God had set them free remarkably. It was a phenomenal thing. And and they were, now they're free, and they're marching towards the land that God had promised to give them. They're out in the desert. They're out in there. And what's happened is where they came from, Egypt, where they were slaves, they, they, and their slave masters were saying, hey, what's going on? We're halfway through this building project. This, we're building these cities, this massive project. All our workforce is just gone all of a sudden. It was like the biggest union walkout of all time ever. They just left what we, so, they, so they marshal the army, they're running, they're chasing after them, they're hard behind them, and Israel is here, in front is the Red Sea, they, they can't go through, and behind them is an army that's going to capture them and take them back to slavery again. What are they going to do? What are they gonna, here's what God said to Moses. Moses said this, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today you'll see again no more. St the Lord will fight for you and you will hold your peace. Now, s sometimes in God, you need to do things, but other times you need to do nothing and wait. 
just wait and let God be your deliverer. So this is, this is one of those occasions. Just stand still and see the salvation of God. You know, and often it's the hardest thing for us to do, just to, to stay out of the way. Ask me about that. I, I, I know about this. It's the hardest thing to do nothing. And you know, when you've got decisions to make, so we always talk about our decisions, you know, everything, big, small, everything. And, and so one of the options when you've got major decisions to make is always do nothing. You know, will we do this? Will we do that? We're not sure. Well, 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 we could always do nothing and just wait and see what God does. You always got to keep that in mind. Always make as an option, one of your options for decision making is do nothing. Now, of course, don't do nothing all the time. There's other times when you've got to do things, you know, obviously. But you know what? In, in where it says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. The Hebrew word, this is all written in the Hebrew. The, the Hebrew word for salvation is Yeshua or Jesus. Just stand still and fix your eyes on Jesus and see what he will do for you. Just see what he will do for you. The people of this world, they cry out and they say, Is that right? Don't just stand there, do something. But you're not of this world. You are not of this world, Bible says. You're of another world. Kingdom of heaven. So important. See, when they, when they stand still and do nothing, nothing happens. But you are not of this world. You are not. You've got to keep that in mind. You are a believer in Jesus who laid his life down for you, who gave his life for you. That counts for a lot. That counts for something. You can put your trust in him, and he will fight for you. You've got to keep that in mind. He will fight for you. Even when you can't see the way through, you can't imagine how a breakthrough would come in your impossible situation. But when you wait and let God work on your behalf, when you commit yourself into His hands and let Him guide you and lead you, you will see the salvation of God in your problem, in your situation. It's so important. So we're we're trained from an early age to push through, to tough it out, to make it happen, to bite the bullet. You heard that phrase? I asked Mr. Google, what does bite the bullet mean? And he said it's from the wild western days where when people were having operations without anesthetic, okay, they would give them a lead bullet to chew because they could do it, take their mind off the pain, you know, and so <laughs> that's what it means, bite the bullet. Okay, I'm going to cut your arm off here, bite the bullet, right? So <laughs> maybe your leg. That's what happens. So medical procedures without anesthetic. So when you're on your own and there's no one in your corner, that's all you can do. But you're not on your own. You're not on your own. God is with you. He's promised to never leave you or forsake you. We should do our best in every area of our lives and be the best we can be in every situation. But you've got to know that your success and prosperity and blessing doesn't depend on you or the state of the stock market, or the state of the property market, or the state of anything else, put your trust in God and let Him work for you. Uh, I, I, that song, that second song we sing, I'm going to see a victory, you know, because God is working in my life. God is in my situation. 
God is working on my behalf. I think that's a really powerful thing. So number three, the third reason why we need to be still and know that he is God is because resting is blessed. I'm, I'm nearly finished, folks, by the way. Resting is blessed. It's a gift from God. Let's read Genesis chapter 2, verse, verse 2. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. I've actually been over some of this before, but this is so good, I'm going to keep on reminding us. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. He did two things. He blessed it, blessed the seventh day, and then he declared it holy or set apart for special purposes or consecrated to God, the seventh day. Now, some people take this a bit far and they make a law out of it. And it was a law. The reason why it was a law for the Israelites is because God had to give them laws because they didn't have anything in their heart at that point. You, I, I, this is really hard to get your head around, folks, but you'd imagine that a people who'd been in slavery for 430 years without a single day off, not one day off for 400 years, when God comes along and says, hey, I'm rescuing you, I'm taking you out of slavery, and from now on, you're going to have one day off every week, they'd say, God, thank you, that is the most awesome news I've ever heard in my life. Some of them struggled to do it. They couldn't stop. They couldn't slow down. So God said, I'm going to make it a law. But you have to, eventually. But you know what? The Jewish people today, they get this. They aren't. That's why they are so blessed. And I didn't write the stats down, but of like all of the Nobel Prize winners in the world, like this, a hundred times, Jewish people are about a hundred times overrepresented in Nobel Prizes because they're so successful in life because God blesses them. God's blessing is on them. Now, God rested on the seventh day. We know he didn't do it because he was tired. We know that. God was not worn out by the work of creation. I'd say he was probably energized by it. He said, this is, this is what I do. You know, I, I'm loving this. He didn't rest because he needed to. He rested because he wanted to model it to us because we need to. We need to rest because we have limits, Right? It's okay to acknowledge. I know some of you probably might not think that, and I probably for a long time didn't think that either. But you have limits. I'm, I'm telling you, you've got limits. And I've got limits. God did that because he wanted to model it to us so that we would understand that we need to get some rest. He gave it to us as something special. And the, this isn't, the first mention of holiness in the Bible, the first thing that God said was holy was the idea of resting. So it's okay to rest, to chill out. It's okay. It's okay. You can do it. God's blessing is on the concept of rest. I love this. In Leviticus 25, I'm going to read this. Not only did God, I am seriously nearly finished, by the way. God did, because you got to rest. <laughs> I got to rest. Not only did they have a day of rest once a week, they had a year of rest every seven years. Now, I know this doesn't work for everybody, and God's not saying you have to do this. He's trying to get something into our hearts to understand a principle, a principle, not a law. Okay. And so he said to the Israelite people, who were all far, like almost all of them were farmers, right? So it's, a, it's an agrarian society. They're all farmers. Every 
seventh, as you work for six years, on the seventh year, you're going to take a break. Now, they were growing food to eat. Well, that sounds great. What are we going to eat in the seventh year? Okay, so this is what, so he said, God said, but you might ask, what will we eat during the seventh year since we're not allowed to plant or harvest crops that year? Is that a fair question? Would any of you ask that question? Probably most of us wouldn't. So, so be assured that I'll send my blessing for you in the sixth year so the land will produce a crop large enough for three years. So the land will produce, yeah, three years. When you plant your fields in the eighth year, you'll still be eating from the large crop of the sixth year. In fact, you'll still be eating from that large crop when the new crop is harvested in the ninth year. This is awesome. They're going to get a huge crop in the sixth year, which will last for the seventh, and then while they're getting going in the eighth, and while they're still going in the ninth. So the blessing of God is not just to just make you make ends meet. He's giving you more than enough. And so he's, what he's saying is, I want you to learn the principle of resting. It's what we talk about. We set aside a day, Sunday, you know, to come to church, to worship God, and just to hear his word and to just to, to celebrate the intimacy we have with Jesus and just to acknowledge that. Go ask our creative team to come back, please, by the way. And you know what it's about? Having a day to acknowledge God in your life. And it might not be Sunday for you. It might be some other day. It's not about doing nothing. It's about making God everything. That's really what it's about. It's about. So it's not about laws and rules. It's about making God everything in your life. About taking a day to prioritize our relationship with Him. Now, I think we should be doing that every day, actually. Taking time to prioritize our relationship with God. Setting aside time to rejuvenate. Focus on the things that are important. You know, our, our worship and hearing from God and just celebrating His goodness and His life. Those things are all so important in our lives, friends. So I wonder, can we just close our eyes for a moment as we come to the end of this? Because uh, I want, want to ask you, maybe, maybe you're here today, you're one, you're one of those people that I spoke about right at the start who, who you've, you've grown up in church or, or you, you have a Christian background or you know a lot about God, but you haven't really taken that step to open your life up and let Him come into your heart. And I, I, I feel that God is just saying to you this morning, well, why don't you just take today and step into the sunshine of His love. Step into the sunshine of what God wants to do in your life. Step out of the shadows. Step into the sunshine of God's grace for you, God's power for you, and God's blessing and God's favor in your life. And you may be here, and I think I, I have a sense also there's someone here today that that God has put a calling on your life. He's called you for special purposes. And maybe you've never acknowledged that today, but he's saying to you, I want you to acknowledge this morning there's a call of God and there's something special about the future for you. There's something holy about your future that God has wanted to set you apart for. Something holy he wants you to be set apart for. And so... If you need to acknowledge that, maybe you need to come and stand at the front here and let someone just pray with you and encourage you this morning. If you're...